0: Many of us pick up books to read or we listen to audiobooks and come away with a few new ideas. If we're really diligent, perhaps we might highlight some of the passages or even jot down a few notes. But a lot of us miss the opportunity to go the next step, to find the real meaning. In this episode, the principles and tactics to help you discover more meaning in what you read. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 564. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations course, so many of you, like me, are diligent readers. You love to dive into books. We feature, of course, so many authors on the show. And so many of us get a lot of our inspiration, our tactics, and our next ideas from reading. And yet, we don't always make the most of our reading in the best possible way. Today, we're an invitation to you to be able to make your reading more meaningful through effective note-taking. I'm so glad to welcome to the show today someone who's absolutely an expert on note-taking It's going to help to challenge us in some new ways. I'm so pleased to welcome Sunka Audens He is the creator of Take Smart Notes, a project dedicated to helping students, academics, and nonfiction writers get more done, ideally with more fun and less effort. He has spent years researching and experimenting with different note-taking systems and has settled on a methodology called Settelkasten, which we'll discover more about in this conversation. He believes that learning from experience is the best way to learn, especially if it is the experience of others. He's a writer, coach, and academic, and also the author of the best-selling book, How to Take Smart Notes, One Simple Technique to Boost Writing, Learning, and Thinking for Students, Academics, and Nonfiction Book Writers. Zonka, I'm so glad to meet you and welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. It is my pleasure. I read your book about two years ago. And of all the books that I have read in the last two to three years, I would say your book has resulted in more real behavior change in my life and in learning than any other book I've read. It really did change a lot of my thinking and subsequently my behavior. And I'm curious, before we dive into some of the principles, what got you interested in looking at note-taking in in such a practical way? Oh,
1: that's a good question. I think it was a detour because I was initially interested in the theory of Niklas Klumann, the author, I then discovered as the practitioner of this note-taking technique. And there are two practical reasons I got interested. The first one is I was working on my PhD and spent a lot of time searching for pieces, notes I've taken in the past, quotes, what you do when you're working on a bigger project and discovered it's not the best possible way I used to work. And the second is that I spent a lot of time doing research on how to generate insight, uh, especially within the sciences. And there was always a disconnect between how I felt inside is born and how empirical research uh, supported it and the way in university and higher education, note-taking and the practical side of literature research is taught. And I felt there is no book available, I feel comfortable with handing it to my students. And that's the reason I got deeper into finding out how to do it better.
0: Sonka, one of the distinctions that you make in the book is between moving past details and looking for meaning. And you write in the book, reading, especially rereading, can easily fool us into believing we understand a text. Rereading is especially dangerous because of the mere exposure effect. The moment we become familiar with something, we start believing we also understand it. And that really resonated with me because I know I have reread things many times. I know many in our listening audience do, Zonka. And that sometimes that can be counterproductive. And I think that there's something to be said here about the distinction between details And meaning. Could you say why that's so critical?
1: Yes, that's a very good point. So, one of the most fascinating bits about learning research is that there is a huge disconnect between what feels right in terms of learning and what is actually working. So, Mm -hmm. if we experiment with students and Let them use the learning techniques they feel are most efficient. They often use techniques like rereading. They go through a text uh, twice or another time or listen to a lecture another time. And the moment you encounter something you have encountered before, it gives you the feeling of familiarity. So it feels like, yeah, I already know that. (laughs) <laughs> so let's move on to the next point. I know that already. Yeah. But if you start testing them, can you give me an account of what the lecture was about and what you read in that chapter, they immediately start to struggle. And that's a problem because it's not just that they discover they haven't actually understood and learned the bits, but it also makes them feel the testing gets in the way of learning. But the interesting bit is that the testing itself, even though it feels like we are not making progress, is accelerating the learning process, even if we don't remember the correct answer to the question. So there is a lot of counterintuitive work in learning going on, and it really helps to look at the empirical facts, what works and what doesn't. Because if we go with intuition, we stick with the least efficient learning techniques. And the same is for reading. So rereading a chapter or a paragraph is not enough to distinguish if you understood or didn't understand. And that's where the distinction between the details and the gist comes into play. Mm. Because when we read something, the author will give us uh, examples and we understand the examples and we understand how the principle is related to the example. But only if we put the work into finding our own examples and wondering about how the principle might work in completely different areas. We start to think about it in a much more meaningful way. And we also start to see the difference between what we just learned and what we took for granted before. So when we talk about the settled custom technique, it's actually all about setting up a system that enforces understanding and not let us get away with this superficial kind of pseudo-understanding, which just feels good, but is not actually very helpful.
0: As you were saying that, I'm thinking of all the reading I've done, both uh, professionally and academically, and how easy it is to get caught up in the details, and once you re- memorize details, to feel like you have understanding. And one of the examples you cite in the book, which I just think is, is beautiful, is the a student, a biology student in this case, learning the difference between arteries and veins. And you you walk through that to illustrate this, and perhaps you could walk us through that so that we get a sense of the distinction between what... What do you mean by details? And then what really is meaning?
1: Yeah, I think it's an example by Bjork and Bjork, but I'm not sure. It's not an example for myself. But it's very helpful to illustrate the difference between learning something by heart and understanding something so you don't have to learn it by heart anymore. And I think we have a misconception about... What learning is, because in school it was often trying to recite something, uh, trying to bang facts into our head. And when you start teaching people the idea behind it, it almost feels like cheating, like you skip the learning bit because you suddenly don't have the problem of remembering anymore. And the difference between arteries and veins can be learned in two different ways. The first way, probably in school, would be that you have a list of characteristics and you try to remember that. So arteries have thick walls, they are not very flexible, and it goes from the heart into the body. And then you have the table side with the veins, and they have the walls, and they are much more flexible and thinner and they go to the heart. So you have a list of characteristics and then you can go through them all and try to remember it. That's one way of learning. And I think that's what we usually think of when we think of learning facts. Yeah. So if you instead teach the difference by meaning, by focus on the meaning and the connections – You connect new knowledge with pre-existing knowledge. So we all know that tubes, when they have thick walls, are less flexible than those with thin walls. Uh, We know that if you put pressure into something, it needs to be more rigid. And So everything comes together. An artery goes from the heart where it puts pressure into it. So it needs thicker walls. Therefore, there are less flexible veins. On the other hand, um, there is less pressure. And once you understood the connection between these bits of information, you really don't need to learn anymore. And Mm. I think there is often this misconception that It's either learning or it's uh, focusing on the fundamentals or focusing on the principles or understanding. But it's really learning better by focusing on understanding. And understanding is at least approximately best described as making meaningful connections between old bits of information and new bits of information. And that's exactly what is... Not practiced if you don't take interconnected notes, but just stick with one book at a time and maybe make some comments in the margins, maybe underline or highlight some sentences. You don't make the connections which are necessary to facilitate understanding.
0: It's not so much about saving information, really. It's about making the connections between information. And I, I think about the work that leaders do every day is so complex. And there's so many different venues that we are bringing ideas into in our organizations and through people that it almost necessitates a look at the larger meaning and the connections between ideas and information. And this probably brings us to the practical, like, how to actually do this, of how do you actually do a bit of that when you're starting to read. And uh, one of the core frameworks that the note-taking method really comes down to is something that's called a slip box. And I was wondering if you could illustrate perhaps how that works and what that looks like when someone starts using a system like this.
1: Yeah, I recommend to start with some kind of brain dump, actually, to write down what your current questions are, what you're thinking about, what you regard as true, <laughs> and being factually so. And this gives you an initial scaffolding where you can then add new pieces of information to. So Lumen had some rules in taking notes. One of the rules was that he uh, distinguished between the kind of everyday notes that you will chuck after going through it again, uh, maybe taking some more extensive literature notes. Um, then you have notes which are only relevant for a specific project. These are not the notes that are the interesting ones. The interesting ones are permanent notes, those he wrote down with the intention of keeping them forever. Mm. and. When you want to keep something forever, you have to be a little bit more deliberate in how you write it down, because you need to still understand it in a few years' time. So it takes a little bit more effort. But at the same time, the notes were always very brief. And he had small uh, Octave A6 uh, formatted index cards and only wrote on one side of them, so you can only fit a few sentences mm. into them. And the idea is just one idea for each index card, not more. So you have some kind of granularity in the system, and you can start connecting individual nodes with other nodes. So very much like hyperlinking
0: in the internet. The system is very atomic in that you would write down a note and that it would just be one idea. And then right. the power comes as time goes on, that the notes then have a way to connect. Like you said, like um, I know it's not a wiki, but but similar of like you can, you can interconnect them with a way to do that. And by the way, Lumen is the creator of the Zettelkasten method, the, the note-taking method that right. you highlight in the book.
1: Yeah. And let me highlight the difference between this method and database or this method and hyperlinks, wikis, the main difference is that even though there is one idea on each index card, so it's very atomic, the focus is on building note sequences. And that's almost like continuing a conversation you have with yourself. So, before he wrote a new note, he would first look into um, his system if there is a similar idea, maybe even the same idea, because sometimes we forgot that we already wrote something down. But ideally, there is already a similar idea or a sequence of notes where you discuss a certain question. And the new note then is written in direct response to what was written before. Ah. And that makes it a very different writing than just collecting a piece of information and saving it under a category or saving it with a tag because you expand on an idea and you focus on the difference between the new and the old idea. So a typical (laughs) note start with a phrase like, but when you think about it from another point of view, (laughs) uh, you see dot, 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 or, but the research of X, Y, Z shows, or you expand on an idea. So it's really the focus on, is it a contradiction? Is it expanding on something? Is it a good example for something But it's somehow ideally expanding. So you have a lot of note sequences where you add more and more to it. But of course, there are also cross references. So sometimes it's an idea that's relevant for two or three or even more different questions. And He would then decide on, okay, where does it fit best to? I write it in response to that, but I then add a link to another section or maybe collect some notes and write another one, giving himself an overview over an emerging topic. And that's maybe uh, the next difference, that it's very much a bottom-up approach. So you don't start with the categories you have in your head on deciding where to put something. But as you add something to a node sequence that's already there, you build up some kind of critical mass where some uh, how new categories emerge from because you might start, well, that's a lot of information around this question, I need to give myself a little bit overview over it. So you start categorizing, but you categorize not out of thin air, but with the material you already have. And when you decide on working on a topic, you know you already have material. So that's another advantage of this bottom-up approach.
0: It's such a powerful system, and a way of thinking. And I've just discovered over the last two years since starting to do some of this myself, and by the way, I'm a mediocre to poor student so far, I'm gradually learning as I go, but I have, as I've started taking notes, and I think about it from a standpoint of my overall learning and growth and thinking versus an individual work or just an individual idea. And as I've started to take notes, and then I start to see how those fit together and start to create links, and like you said, it's almost like having a conversation with yourself of the system becomes part of your learning and thinking. They're not separatable. And, and now the interesting thing is I have the opposite problem of I have so many different ideas, places I could go. I, I never have the thought anymore of like, oh, I don't have anything to say about this or anywhere to start because there is so much that's just emerged of being able to find those connections and thinking about it through the lens of meaning versus just looking at details from a specific work.
1: Yeah, it's a system that enforces elaboration, because just the practical step of adding new piece information to it requires to have a look at previous pieces of information and thinking about the connection. So you really enforce elaboration, which is one of the best learning techniques um, that's what we know from empirical research. Yeah. So, elaboration is something we need to do. But usually, we have to have willpower to put elaboration into something we read. But when you have a system that pushes you to do that, because you can't, can't do the next step unless you have made a decision on a connection, it sets up a framework within its really Efficient in the long run to work with. And I think that's what needs to be said that the beneficial effects are not necessarily immediate. But then I think it's very much like compounded interest Mm. because it takes a little bit of effort uh, setting it up, understanding the principles, deciding on what kind of software you use. And you have to adjust the workflow because people tend to overdo it with notes in the beginning mm. and then realize, okay, it takes a little bit of time, so I have to uh, scale back on that. Yeah, But that's part of the learning process. And I think we also discover that we need to be very selective in not only what we write down, but also what we read. Um, because once you start judging reading by what you wrote down and connected it with, so really have elaborated on, you realize reading takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And only if you put some effort into it, it's worth the time you put into it. So I think one of the effects is becoming much more selective.
0: Yeah, there were two stopping points for me starting this that I was concerned about as a as a very achievement-oriented person, <laughs> first of all, I thought like, well, I need to write lots of notes. But in fact, actually, it's better to write something that's much more concise and just maybe one or two a day versus trying to do too much and to really look for the meaning for the the larger idea. Um, and then the other part of it, and i I really appreciate the analogy you gave to compound interest, is as someone who's very achievement-oriented, you know, it's it's very easy to read a book and to mark it off your list and to track it on somewhere like Goodreads and say, okay, I'm done. And I I sort of have moved away from that just because I realized that it just was becoming too transactional for me. And I realized I wasn't really reading for meaning and for ideas. And so I've had to just put that achievement part of my brain away a bit when I started this system because I was like, well, You know, when do I get value from it? But, but really the value comes from over time. And so I really realized, and I'm still working on this, by the way, of, you know, really the value is capturing the most important ideas, thinking about the meaning, capturing those one or two a day. And then the connections start to emerge from there. So it is very much a long game, but it's been one that's been so powerful. And I know our audience, uh, without knowing that our audience is already having the benefits of it, just of the episodes and the reading and all the things that come up on, on this show of of making those connections. And it's, it's such a powerful framework. And I, I think maybe it might be helpful for folks if we thought about... This conversation and, and thinking about like what would be a note we might write, Sankey, of, of, of just this, like what would come out of this, just so folks have an example of like what would maybe show up on that note card, either a physical one or a digital one as so many people are using today. When you think about that, what would be an example of, of a note that might come out of reflecting on a conversation like this?
1: That's easy. It's your expertise on coaching leaders and looking at the practical side of things. What value is in the system for managers and uh, leaders? That is a question I would right down because I somehow thought about it, but to be honest, not that thoroughly. And I don't think I have a note on that. And I would write it down as a question first. And I would write it down probably outside of uh, my system. And then maybe start with some insight. So, And the insight would be, there are examples of people who have the practical expertise (laughs) to judge this system useful. And I would put your name down maybe refer to your podcast. And that triggers the question, so what would be the next note? And the next note would be, obviously, why? Why is it helpful? Mm. And then I would probably ask you, because you're the expert on it, and have a conversation with you and extract from this conversation
0: what I regard as
1: something I haven't thought
0: about. That, that's so. That's so helpful. Uh, thank you for that. And and I was thinking of like what would be the note I would write out of this conversation. And I think for me, I don't know if this is a question or just an insight. I think about what I mentioned earlier. I think one of the points you make in the book is that you know we we tend to think of these note taking systems. A lot of us, I know, I have of like. Okay, either it's in my head or it's somewhere else. It's either it's an either or, and what's coming out of this conversation for me is thinking of that much more as an and, and that's where I need to do some reflection. So that would be the note I would write is how do I make that more of an and in my own practice and my own behavior of capturing notes because for me still too much of my reading is just highlighting, which is helpful as a starting point, but I don't then what I don't then tend to do is I highlight, I capture those in my note database, but I don't always then take the next step which is, well, what does this mean? Like what's the big idea or the big question behind this? I think about that, but I don't write it down. And what's going to come out of this conversation for me is now starting to write down that note as well too into my system and to start putting some of those assets away so that the 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 interest over time really starts to grow and that I'm having much more of a conversation with my notes than I am today, which is, I think it's much more static.
1: And I think there is another misconception that's good to get out of the way. And that is, it's not about duplicating what we have in our head. It's only writing down which, is, which we're still working on. So ideas... I am very familiar with and knowledge I know I have and will uh, still have in a year's time. I wouldn't bother writing down. Um, I I don't write for someone else. I'm writing um, for a dialogue partner who knows me well. (laughs) Mm. So I use writing also to clarify ideas which are not yet fully formed. And, Maybe that helps with the end. So it's learning and thinking by writing. And then it also doesn't feel like you're putting time into maintaining a system. Because that's not what the idea is. The writing itself should feel worthwhile doing And trying to get an idea right... (laughs) phrasing it right, is a way of training a certain skill. And that's the skill of getting the gist of an idea and expressing it in words everyone can understand. Because in a year's time, you look at your note and you are someone else. Um, You don't remember the context. And I think the skill of being able to get the gist And expressing it to someone else is such a useful skill to have, especially when you work in organizations where you have to work with people and explain ideas and not just take orders and fulfill them, but have to come up with ideas and communicate them. So it's also a training device in some regard.
0: That's why I love this so much. It's so practical, and so much of the work of leadership is about taking the time to stop and think and connect right. ideas. And so many leaders don't ever work that muscle very much. And so I hope for those listening that this has intrigued you in some way of thinking, you know, we, we're obviously scratching the surface of what you can do with your note taking system. But for those who are intrigued, who really would like to start to develop a practice of starting to look more for meaning and get beyond just a single book or just highlights, I hope you'll take the first step. And one, uh, one great place to start would be Zonka's book, Taking Smart Notes. There's going to be uh, more editions coming out in lots of different languages uh, at the time we're recording this in the coming months more editions will be coming out. In addition, Zanka, you're, I know you're going to be having a course that's available. Uh, we'll link it up on the site once it's once it's live. For those who really would like to start taking the first steps practically on how to begin a process like this, like, uh, like we both have, um, I think it really is just a wonderful way to give a gift to yourself, on your continued learning and professional development. And I know so many um, of our community are just, just so um, committed to that. Sanka on the on the long term of really doing that well for ourselves and for others. Sanka Adans is the author of how to take smart notes, one simple technique to boost writing, learning and thinking for students, academics and nonfiction book writers. Sanka, thank you so much for your work and all you've done to support my learning and growth in the last few years. Thank you so much, Dave. What wonderful. If this conversation has you thinking differently about your reading and learning, several related episodes I'd also recommend. One of them is episode 129, How to Create a Personal Knowledge Management System. Bonnie was my guest on that episode. We talked about our own systems, how we bring information in, what we do with it once we have it, and then ultimately how do we share what's relevant With others, Uh, three steps to do that effectively. Our systems have evolved a bit since that episode was first aired. However, the three core principles are very much the same. A great complement to this conversation, episode 129 for that. I'd also recommend episode 421, Help People Learn Through powerful teaching, Pooja Agrawal was my guest on that episode. She's a cognitive psychologist who's done a ton of research on the practical things that leaders and teachers can do effectively in order to help others learn. And of course, that hat is a hat that many of us wear as leaders on a regular basis is teaching someone else how to do something, teaching a new skill, coaching and mentoring. There's an element of teaching in that for many of us. And yet, most of us never received much training on how to do that. In that episode, Pooja walks us through some of the research and the practical things we can do to help people to learn better. And guess what? It's not cramming, and it's not memorization. Those are the things a lot of us learned in school, and they work to help us get through that exam or the report. But it turns out those aren't the tactics that generally work well for us to be able to develop skill over the long run. Pooja in episode 421 really shows us how to do that better as leaders, not only for ourselves, but for others. A great uh, great compliment to this conversation. And then also I'd recommend an episode from Bonnie's podcast, Teaching in Higher Ed. Uh, those of you in our audience who are in higher education, especially for those of you who teach, I know you're familiar with Bonnie's work on faculty development, but in that episode, a conversation I think would be beneficial for everyone how to Use Cognitive Psychology to Enhance Learning. She featured her guest, Robert Bjork, in that episode. He's a distinguished professor at UCLA. His work is also cited in Zonka's book and really looks at some of the key principles he's found through research on how we learn effectively. Again, some of the things that are are really contrary to what a lot of us think or we learned in school, and one of the messages he has in that conversation is that forgetting is the friend of learning. It's really not a one-time event. It's a process. It's an ongoing conversation. As Zonka said so many times today, a great compliment to this conversation as well. And then finally, I'd recommend a free audio course that is on the website. If you have your free membership set up at coachingforleaders.com, I aired a while back an audio course on how to enhance your credibility. And a big part of that course is walking through the system that I use Uh, right now in order to be able to synthesize information, how I organize it, database it, even some of the tools and utilities that I use for that. Uh, That's all freely available on the coachingforleaders.com website. And again, the name of that course is How to Enhance Your Credibility. If you don't already have a free membership set up at coachingforleaders.com, I'm inviting you to do that. That'll give you access to the course, but also a ton more inside the website. And one of the free member benefits that's available there is access to my interview notes And book notes and highlights. And as Anka and I talked about today, you know, one of the invitations that we're making is to get beyond just having the highlights. And yet often that can be a starting point for some of those ideas and really finding meaning. You can find that of on many of the conversations that I've had in the recent years, including this book, and looking at what I've highlighted, but perhaps more importantly, what I then pulled out and put into the interview notes, because that's there as well too for almost every interview that I conduct these days. All of that is available inside the free membership, plus tons more resources, the weekly leadership guide, my own library, all available for free. Go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and you'll have access to everything in the library since 2011. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Tiziana Cacharo to the show. She is going to be helping us to figure out how to discover what people want, especially in a situation where there are power dynamics at play which of course is almost always the case in leadership. Join me for that conversation with Tiziana next week. Have a great week and see you on Monday.